Today on A Daily Walk. There are times when we become so overly comfortable with our own salvation that we never take thought of the person that's perishing, that's going to be separated from God for eternity. We just don't think about it. God needs to awaken us as a church, not only here, but corporately, the reality of hell. People don't want to preach about it. But listen, listen, the gospel, you don't appreciate the good news of the gospel until you know what the bad news is. And if we simply tell people part of the story and not the whole story, then we have not given them the full gospel. Welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. The Bible teaches that each man is appointed once to die, and then comes the judgment. Some will be sentenced to an eternal hell, while others will experience an eternity in heaven. In a moment, Pastor John will explain what determines who will go where. Which of the two roads are you traveling on today? All of this is part of our continuing study of Luke. On this edition of A Daily Walk, we make a return visit to chapter 16. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. This may come as a surprise to you this morning, but Jesus Christ spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. And I believe that that is because he wanted no person to go there. Jesus described it in his ministry as outer darkness. Think about that. If you want to live in darkness... If you want to live apart from God, if you want to do your own thing and live in the darkness of this world, you will have what you desire for eternity in outer darkness. Jesus said not only outer darkness, but continual weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, flames, everlasting fire, he said, a furnace of fire, he called it, separation from the righteous, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, torment, everlasting punishment, a lake of fire burning with brimstone. That is how he described it for us. And I'll take Jesus's words over any man's words. This rich man, we also find from this story, make note of this, his five senses were still in operation in this place of torment, this place known as Hades. For one thing, he could see. He could see Father Abraham there and Lazarus there comforted by Father Abraham. Also notice he could feel pain. He said, send Lazarus over here just to dip his finger in water and, and touch the tip of my tongue. I am, in, I am tormented in this flame around me. He could feel it. He was being consumed by this fire. Also notice this. He remembered. He remembered the life that he lived. Abraham said, son, remember, remember that when you lived your life, this is how you lived. He had the cognizance, the awareness, and now it was complete and eternal regret. Listen, there are people in hell right now who know and remember every time they rejected the message of the gospel. They remember every time They ridiculed somebody who presented the word to them. Every time they took the track and threw it in the trash, they remember all of those instances and they regret every second of it. And if they could change it, they would. But listen, here it says, this man could not get out from where he was. Abraham said, there is a gulf between us. Where you are, you cannot come to where we are and no one can come to where you are. There's no middle ground, friend. There's no, listen carefully, there is no place called purgatory. That is not a biblical doctrine. That is a false doctrine, a false sense of security. And anybody that teaches that is a false teacher. 
Because the Bible tells us there's no middle ground. Somebody can just pray you out of there and you can get out. Here Jesus said, there's no way for you to get out from there once you're there. That's where you are for eternity. It's a serious matter that we consider here. We also find, and this is startling to me, but we find this man praying in hell, in Hades as it were. And what is he praying? He's saying, Father Abraham, send somebody back to tell my five brothers who are going to end up here not to come here. Think about that, friend. There are people in hell praying right now that their loved ones who are not saved will not come where they are. That's a sobering, sobering reality. Two lives, two deaths, two separate eternities. Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, enter by the narrow gate because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few that find it. Jesus put it this way, guys. He said, there's one of two roads that you can travel. One road is extremely broad and there are many people on it. It encompasses all of the false religious systems of this world, all the, the cultic beliefs and ideologies that are present. They are on that wide road saying that just pick a road that you want to go and you'll eventually get there. Take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, pull from over here and come up with your own idea and then that's how you're going to make it. There are people advocating that today. Jesus said that road leads to destruction, eternal destruction. But then there is a narrow road which leads to eternal life and few there are that find it. That's the road you want to be on because that's the road that leads to eternal life. Which road are you traveling on? You have to make that decision. You have to know which road you're on. Now, there are objections to this. Some will say, I don't see and I don't believe how a God of love could create a place called hell and send people there. I just don't believe in a God like that. That's not the God that I know. That's not the God that I believe in. I find it very interesting that many people are confident that God is so loving. And I wonder to myself, where does mankind get the idea that God is loving concerning the whole world and that he loves sinners? Where do they come up with that? The Buddhist scriptures don't teach that in the Tripitaka. The Hindus certainly don't teach that in the Vedas. Oh, the Quran does not teach that. Where do you find that God loves sinners? In the Bible. That's where you find that truth. And so you have these people that say God is loving and merciful and forgiving. That comes from the Bible. It's the Bible alone amongst all these other so-called religious books that presents God as gracious and loving and merciful and forgiving of sinners. People get their ideas that God is loving from the very same book that warns us about hell. God is not only loving, and he is, but God is just. God is righteous, and God is holy. He could not be perfect love if he was not perfect justice. That's inconsistent with his nature and with his character. He can't be both of those things. He can't be totally loving and not be just. It wouldn't be loving to not be just. And God is both of those things. A man by the name of Norman Geisler wrote this. He said, scripture offers reasons for the existence of hell. 
One is that justice demands the existence of hell. For God is just. He is pure and untainted, that he cannot even look upon sin. He's not a respecter of persons. Psalm 73 is a representative passage teaching that not all justice is accomplished in this life. Sometimes we see the wicked prospering in this life and getting away with so much. But later on, there is a judgment that will come and they will be judged after they die. God is a God of justice and there would be no real justice if there was no place of punishment for demented souls like Stalin and Hitler who initiated the death of millions of people. Listen guys, God is just. Here's the amazing thing. Justice and mercy meet at the cross of Christ. God is merciful in that he sent his son to die for us. That's his mercy, but he is also just. And the penalty that his justice demands was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Mercy and justice meet in the person and work of Jesus on the cross. And if you trust in Christ for salvation, the justice that the, that the law demands is paid for by the sacrifice of Christ. That's what the cross is. It's a substitutionary death for our sin. He took your place. He took my place. And it's a vicarious substitutionary death. He died for you. He died for me. And now the justice of God is fulfilled. And the mercy of God also fulfilled in the work of Jesus. Jonathan Edwards argued that even one sin deserves hell since the eternal holy God cannot tolerate any sin each person commits a multitude of sins in thought in word and in deed and this all compounded by the fact that we reject God's immense mercy and add to this man's readiness to find fault with God's justice and mercy and we have an abundant evidence of the need for hell if we had a true spiritual awareness We would not be amazed at hell's severity, but at our own depravity. If we really understood what we fail to understand. It's important to understand that hell was not originally created for man. It says that Jesus said that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Jesus came, died, took our place on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin so that we never have to go to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. God wants you to be in heaven, friend. That's why he sent Jesus. So you could be in heaven. I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. He has prepared a place for you. He wants you to be there in glory. But you make the decision what you want to do with Jesus. Another objection that will be raised. What about, here it is. What about those people that have never heard? What about those people in those countries out there? that have never heard the gospel, never heard Jesus. Are you saying that God is going to send those people to hell? Is that what you're saying, Pastor John? Is that what you're telling us? People will ask. Some will go to hell. But it will not be because they've never heard of Jesus. People end up in hell because they have lived their lives ignoring or even retreating from the truth that God has revealed to them. God has revealed himself to people in at least two ways. For one, in creation. The Bible tells us in Romans, that which was known of God is evident within them. God has made it evident to them. How God has made it evident to them. It says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Even his Godhead is visibly noticeable in creation. You can discern there is a 
creator behind this creation. There is a designer behind this design. Creation declares the glory of the Lord. But also, not only does God reveal himself through creation, but God also gives unto man a conscience. Romans chapter 2 verse 15 says that Gentiles show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience is bearing them witness. God has inscribed evidence of his existence and his moral laws on the heart and conscience of every person. Think about this. A person looks at something going on in the world and they say, that is wrong, that is evil, that is vile. How do you know that? Because you have a sense of a moral law. There's a sense of of moral law that leads to justice. The question then becomes, how do you arrive at a moral law? You arrive at a moral law because you know there's a moral law giver. If the fact that you say that that is evil implies that there is good. Well, what is good? Where does good come from? How do we define good? God is good. How do you arrive at this moral law? Because there's a moral law giver. God has put it in your conscience. Even in the remote parts of this world, people have an awareness of those things. Listen, the Bible says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Jesus said, you will seek me and find me. God said, when you search for me with all of your heart. There are lots of ways that God is revealing himself to people in this world right now. Listen, even in our own church, let's bring it home for a second. There are people who weekly watch what goes on here on the internet in places like Malaysia, China, Finland, Russia, around the world. How do we track these things? Africa, how, how do they do that? Because we have the technology to get the message of the gospel out to the remote parts of the world. Every single week, every single week, I meet right here, right at the bottom of this stage with a tiny little camera and my Bible open with a few people in school of discipleship. And on the other side of the world in Entebbe, Africa, up on the screen, we see a classroom full of 18 people who are learning the word of God. God has ways of getting his word out to these remote parts of the world. I personally went to India and met with 150 pastors and taught seven times on preaching the gospel and reaching people. And they in turn go out to these persecuted areas within the world. I mean, God is moving in all different ways all over the world. You hear these testimonies about Muslims having visions of Jesus personally coming and revealing himself to them. God has ways of revealing himself to people. And listen, if you're one of those people that's so concerned about the person who's never heard, let me just give you a little counsel. Maybe it'd be actually not maybe, it would be a great idea for you to give your life to Jesus, for you to be converted. You're responsible for what you know. And then when, if you're really fired up about people in other parts of the world, maybe God will equip you and send you out to reach them. You're accountable. I'm accountable for what I know concerning heaven, concerning hell. If the evidence for hell is substantial and it is more than substantial, it's a fact. Why do people reject it? Again, quoting from Jonathan Edwards, he said, two of the main reasons for the unwillingness to accept hell, he said, for one, it is contrary to our personal preference. It's true. Secondly, he said, we have a deficient concept of evil and its deserved punishment. A denial of hell is an indication of human depravity. We are all aware of the heinous nature of wars and acts against humanity. Why aren't we not equally shocked at how regularly we show contempt 
for the majesty of God. Hell is real. It is eternal. It is a place of torment, of judgment, of darkness, and of eternal regret. Someone said that hell is the prison house of despair. And here are some things that won't be there. No flowers will bloom on the banks of hell. No beauties of nature we love so well. No comforts of home, music, and song. No friendship of joy will be found in that throng. No children to brighten the long, weary night. No love, nor peace, nor one ray of light. No blood-washed soul with face beaming bright. No loving smile in that region of night. No mercy, no pity, no pardon, nor grace. No water. Oh God, what a terrible place. The pains of the loss no human can tell. Not one moment's ease. There is no rest in hell. And the worst part of hell is the fact that God's presence will not be there. The absence, total absence of the presence of God for eternity. It was Charles Spurgeon that said, quote, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, begging them to stay. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Hell is not the choice of God, but the choice of a man or a woman who wants to reject God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, you want to be in heaven. You want to be with the Lord for eternity. Consider with me in conclusion the alternative of hell. Look in your Bible at Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me, please. Revelation 21. As John is given a glimpse of eternal reality. This city whose builder and maker is God. This glorious reunion with the saints of old, loved ones and relatives there in the presence of God for eternity. Listen. Listen to what he says. In verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write these words for they are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, 
abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, the reality of hell. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian here today, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Does the reality of hell awaken us at all? There are times when we become so overly comfortable with our own salvation that we never take thought of the person that's perishing, that's going to be separated from God for eternity. We just don't think about it. God needs to awaken us as a church, not only here, but corporately, the reality of hell. People don't want to preach about it. But listen, listen, the gospel, you don't appreciate the good news of the gospel till you know what the bad news is. And if we simply tell people part of the story and not the whole story, then we have not given them the full gospel. We need to tell them what the Bible says. Yes, there is heaven. Yes, that is, that is where you belong. That's where God desires you to be. But there's a real place called hell. And if you reject Jesus, that is where you will go. Oh, that doesn't sit well with any person, but that's the truth of the gospel. We need to speak that truth in love and with grace. What are we doing about it? Does it even matter to us? What about those friends, those loved ones, those coworkers, those neighbors, those images, those faces that you have, those names that you know? What about it? And I don't just say it to you. I say it to me. God, awaken me from my apathy. Help me to awaken to the fact that people are going to hell. It should do something. And I'll tell you this, as I was reading it this weekend and studying through this throughout the week, you know what? Tears were shed. Tears, first of all, of gratefulness over the fact that God rescued me personally from the fires of eternal hell that I deserved. That's the only thing I deserve. Oh God, give me what I deserve. Really? You want what you deserve? What I deserve is hell. And God didn't give me what I deserve. And so I am broken by that. But the other thing that causes me to weep is over people that I know and you know, they don't even realize where they're going. They're going to hell. There needs to be an awakening in the church. It was William Booth who was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he had said, and I've shared it with you before, but he said if, if he had one wish, it would be to take those men and women who were employed into the Salvation Army, he would take them for one moment and he would just dangle them over the fires of hell, let them hear and see what was there. And then he would pull them out from that experience and then he would send them out in to preach the gospel. He felt that that would be no greater motivation than to realize where people were going. The building's burning. People are going there. What are we doing about it? And to tell you the truth, it's rather overwhelming when you look at the reality of how many people are on their way there. And all you can do is just one person at a time, man. Just one person at a time. Multi- whatever God provides, just do what we can. We're not here simply to grow comfortable with earth and just wait for the trumpet to sound and yay, let's go. It's exciting, yes. We're here to work while it's, while it's day because night is coming when no man can work. We're to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're to preach the gospel, live the gospel, and preach the gospel. That's what we're here for, guys. May God help us to to do that until he comes. This is a daily walk with Pastor John Randall, who today continued our study of Luke. Would you like to hear this message again? 
Just go to adailywalk.org or listen wherever you get your podcasts or call and request a CD copy for a cost of $5 at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another convenient way to listen to Pastor John is through our mobile app. Be among the thousands that are being encouraged in their daily walk by downloading that today. Find our app by searching for Calvary South OC. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. You can order it right now for the price of $15 at adailywalk.org or call 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828 and at adailywalk.org. As the Lord leads, we would also appreciate your financial support. We're consistently hearing from people that are being helped through the teaching of God's Word, and your gifts help to make that possible. So thank you for standing with us in 2024. To make a donation today, to help us continue the ministry on your station and others like it, visit adailywalk.org or call 877-242-0828. And if you're not a part of our online communities, start following us today. Pastor John shares biblical encouragement throughout the week on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. You know, there's much more to come in the Gospel of Luke, so be sure to join us next time here on A Daily Walk, where you never have to walk alone. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C. 